Genesis 25. We're going to be talking about a family. We got to see the dad last week, and I'm not going to be talking about Abraham. I'm going to be talking about Isaac and his family. Last week, Pastor Lance preached a message about Abraham and his son, Isaac. And the point of that message is, is, is God has to be first in your life. And what are the things that uh, become first that shouldn't? And in, in this case, uh, God tested Abraham, and Abraham had God first. And the question was, what's your Isaac? What are, what are things in your life that maybe you could be putting first or that you could be putting before God, and we need to surrender those things? So Isaac grows up. He gets married. He's, his wife, Rebecca. They end up getting married, and they, they are kind of walking through a season where they're not able to have kids. And you see in the Scriptures here, the Bible says that, that Isaac pleads to the Lord on behalf of Rebekah for her to become pregnant. And so if you're with me in Genesis 25, look at verse 19. The Bible says, This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram. And Rebekah is also the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Now we'll hear a little bit more about Laban later in this story. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Let's just stop there for a second because this is going to be a point we refer back to in this message. Genesis 25, verse 23, tells us that God told Rebekah, your older son will serve the younger one. The Lord said this. The Lord told them this. They have a word from the Lord. Let's establish that. Verse 24, and when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. And the first one was very red at birth and was covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau, which means hairy one. Uh, message translation, Chewbacca maybe, I don't know. But <laughs> quite a hairy man. And later you'll find out that it's like goat hair. I mean, it's just like, wow, dude. Buy a razor, right? So then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, which means heel catcher. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Now, here's a, a part in this story you see later in life. The Bible says they grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter and he was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, and he preferred to stay at home. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau 
because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. How many people can relate to that? Like, you make me good food, I'm your friend, right? I'm going to favor the one that brings home the bacon, okay? And then it says, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And I want us to sit on that for a second, too, because you can imagine dad maybe favoring Esau, mom favoring Jacob. There's probably some tension at times within this family, favoritism. Okay, some of you parents that have multiple kids, you've probably had those conversations of who your favorite child is, right? Here's the thing. You try to establish with them, there's no favorites here, okay? Even though the kids might say, well, you always favor them. How many of you as parents, you've had that conversation with your kids at some point, okay? The Bible says that one day Jacob was making some stew and Esau arrived from home, or arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew. And this is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Jacob says, all right, but trade me, trade me your rights as the firstborn son. And so I want to take a moment to talk about that because the birthright is a very significant thing in this, this culture, this ancient Near Eastern culture. The birthright was huge. First off, the firstborn took the leadership role, especially once dad passed away. So here's this bowl of soup. Give me your leadership role. The other part of this is the way they broke the inheritance down is the firstborn got twice as much as all the others. So in this scenario, you've got 50-50, Jacob, Esau. The way this would have worked is two-thirds would have gone to Esau, one-third would go to Jacob, okay? Twice as much as the other siblings. So this is a big deal for a bowl of soup. Huge. So this is what Esau says in verse 32. 32. Look, I'm dying of starvation. I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me right now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal and then got up and left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Now we're going to stop there for a second. How many of you realize that was a bad decision? Okay, you can see that from a mile away. How many of you have ever seen the Snickers commercials where they say, you're not you when you're hungry? Okay, and so just to drive that point home, how many of you are a little hungry right now? You'd appreciate, here you go, Brett View, over to you, uh, Cherie, there you go. Yep, I don't want to hit anybody. Oh, hey, Crystal Phillips. There you go. Matt, I'm going to walk this back. We're getting, we're getting out of my range. Remember, I'm a Bears fan, okay? So, hey, here you go, John, the whole thing. Go make some friends. There. 
So I know that our service is before lunch, and I don't want anybody getting hangry. Have you ever heard that term before where you're hungry, and then you kind of get angry because you're hungry, and, and then you make dumb decisions, and you say stupid things, and all of that stuff. And so for those who did not get Snickers, this is not an excuse to check out, okay? You had the opportunity to raise your hand, okay? And um, if you don't get one, it's John's fault. He has the bag now, okay? Esau showed contempt toward his birthright. A couple weeks ago when I was given the message about Hagar and Ishmael, I said Hagar showed contempt toward Sarai or Sarah, meaning she looked at her as small or as little. And so in the same light, Esau is looking at his birthright as small. It's insignificant. It's, it's beneath consideration. It's almost worthless to me right now. I'd rather have a bowl of red lentil stew than my birthright. This man of the field, Esau was a wild and undisciplined man. And you see that happen right here in this transaction. I want you to remember this. There was a covenant that was given to Abraham that his line is going to be blessed. Think of the birthright. This was a chosen line, and the birthright included the promise and the blessings that were given to Abraham, as well as the privilege of carrying on the line that would eventually bring salvation, that is, Jesus Christ. He showed contempt for it. It's not that big of a deal. Now, he didn't necessarily know that Jesus was going to come through his line, but here's the thing. When we show contempt towards things that God would have intended as a blessing, you're gonna miss out on the incredible things that he wants to do through you. We can show contempt towards things. Maybe not over a bowl of soup, but we can show contempt towards, we, we can think things are insignificant or small and so I don't have time for that. Or, and you miss out on blessings that God wants to do in and through that opportunity. Hebrews 12, 16 calls Esau profane. That is godless. Whoa. Leaving God out of his life, trying to leave God out of his plans and out of his thinking. This just wasn't a part of where Esau was at. Esau would even go on to marry a couple ladies that uh, just, they were ungodly. He just had his own way of doing things. And a takeaway from that is if we leave God out of our life, you're going to miss out on the incredible blessing that he has for you. You can choose to go your own path and think you're making your own way and all of that stuff, but all of that begins to crumble over time. It'll lose its joy, its satisfaction. You'll still be sitting there going, something's missing here. But when you have God's blessing in your life, there's just a neat just this, not only satisfaction, but this peace. And that peace sustains you. You look at the way this family was probably acting with each other, you can imagine these two siblings and maybe what their conversations were like as, as kids, especially maybe teenagers. I bet that was probably fun. Okay, But as things build, there's a point where where Isaac's not doing very well. His health has declined. 
And we pick up in Genesis 27. If you want to go there with me, I'm going to start in verse 1. But the Bible says that one day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and he said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here to me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. The birthright blessing and spoken words of a father were legally binding in this context, in this culture. Legally binding. Now, either Isaac forgot God's word that was given to Rebekah when they were praying about having a baby, and God said that the older will serve the younger. Either Isaac, in his failing body, somehow missed that and in and, and, and an honest mistake forgot that that's what God said. But that wasn't the plan, to give the blessing to Esau. And here he was going to give it. The other part of this is it's also very possible that that verse that said that, that Isaac loved Jacob and Rebekah loved Esau, or excuse me, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob, that Isaac could have very possibly been trying to take this into his own hands. I still want Esau to get this blessing. Even though at the beginning God told our family that the older will serve the younger. Regardless of whether that was a sin issue for Isaac or a mistake because he was starting to fade mentally, Rebecca overhears this. And you'll see in verse 5, Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son, and so when Esau left to go hunt for that wild game, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now my son, listen to me, do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats, and I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. And you look at that and you're thinking, oh man. He might have taken things into his own hands by wanting to bless Esau. Now Rebecca is trying to take things into her own hands. And I'm telling you now that she's being flat out deceitful. And here was an opportunity. Here, here's how this hopefully should have gone down. When Rebecca hears that, she could go to her husband and say, Honey, do you remember what the Lord told us? Do you remember that? We're not being obedient. The older will serve the younger. Instead, she's like, let me just do this on my own. And not just on my own, but let me do this in a dishonest way. And Jacob had every opportunity to go, Mom, 
this doesn't seem right. There's something about this that just is off. I don't think God would, will bless this. And walking through this with his mom, there could have been an opportunity to maybe change the course here. But this is what Jacob says. He goes, but look, my brother Esau, he's a hairy man. And my skin is smooth. So he's already starting to kind of, well, I could see this, but there's some issues here that the deceit might not work. He says, what if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. He is now participating in this plan that is deceitful. It's building. He's jumping in on this now. Rebecca took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way that Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. What were they thinking as he was putting that on? What kind of thoughts were going through his mind? Oh, this is going to be so clever. I mean, what was he thinking? I, I don't really want to do this, but I feel like I have to. I mean, what was going through his mind? Rebecca covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father, and he said, My father, yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? And then Jacob replied, This is when it starts to really turn south. It's Esau. It's Esau, your firstborn son. He's in now. He had every opportunity to step away from this, but now he's doing it. He said, I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. Isaac's a little bit stunned. He goes, how did you find it so quickly? my son, and this is the part where I'm just like, I can't believe Jacob just said this. He says, Dad, the Lord your God helped me get this. Do you guys see how deception has a way of snowballing? And it gets moving real fast, and it might be going to places that you weren't really comfortable with, but now you have to go there because you've been walking this line of deception. And it gets to this point where now you're trying to bring God in on this. Like he's going to somehow rubber stamp it. Like God provided this for me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And I, you could sit here and think, who would do such a thing, right? I mean, who would try to imitate somebody else and then try to put a God stamp on it? And I think you can look at our culture today, and that's happening. People show up to church, they imitate somebody that they're not, really, deep down inside, and they try to put this God stamp on it, but in reality, they're living something totally different. They're living in deception, and that just keeps snowballing. You're, you're not 
being honest with yourself. Maybe you're not being honest with other people. And as I was preparing this message this week, I feel like that's exactly where I'm supposed to stop. The fact that he reels this in and says, the Lord provided this. Like he's bringing God into the equation. And I feel like as I was working through this, God's telling me there's somebody that needs to hear this reality. You have to quit living in deception. It's time to change and face the issue that you need to be honest. And maybe there's something in your life that you're not being real about. Maybe there's something with your spouse that you're hiding and you need to make it clear with them, this is something that I've stepped in and I need to be honest, otherwise this thing's gonna snowball out of control and it's gonna be incredibly difficult. And to face that, that might bring an anxiety to somebody. I, I'm, if I face that issue, there could be some turmoil. If you don't face that issue right now, it's gonna get even worse. Face it. If you're a man in here, man up and face it. For ladies, there might be some ladies in here, I'm not gonna tell you to man up, but I'm gonna tell you, you need to be honest with yourself and if there's a sin issue, you need to take care of it. God takes deceit incredibly serious. He hates lying. Proverbs says there's seven things that God thinks is detestable and two out of those seven are in regards to lying. God hates deception. He is truth. Anything outside of truth is not of him, it's from the enemy, the father of lies. And so when you walk in deception, when you walk in deceit, you are living the plan of the enemy, not of your heavenly father. Not only does the deception snowball, but when you're caught in this, the consequences snowball. So here's what happens. Esau comes back from his hunting excursion with the meat, ready to make what he was gonna make, and he goes in to give this to his dad, and he says, I'm here, I'm ready, and, and Isaac's like, I already gave the blessing. That legally binding blessing, I've already given it, there is nothing I can do. And what Esau showed contempt for once upon a time, now it seemed to mean something to him. And it was gone. And here's this skillful hunter, and he's ticked off at this shut-in Jacob. Who's gonna win that? Right? So the first consequence is, is Jacob's life is now on the line. There's threats now over his life. And here's the thing, that's, that's probably gotta be incredibly intense. To think my life, I need, I, at any moment he could show up and I'm dead. So the pressure of that is a consequence, but then he, he has to pack up and leave. So he has to leave the comforts of home and go to some place that he's not familiar with because again, his life is being threatened. And I want you to think about these consequences and the fallout for Jacob, but his last memory with his dad was one of deceit. He didn't get to be there with his dad on his deathbed. Those final words, how many of you know that's a very important moment in life is the deathbed moments? 
the closure. Jacob doesn't get that. You think the memories that are plagued for him is just this constant replay of when you deceived your dad over and over and over again. Think of the regret he's now living with. Decisions have consequences. And also this mother who loved him doesn't get to see her ever again either. So you think of her mistake, this son she loved so dearly, I won't get to see him anymore because I chose to take matters into my own hands. And Jacob won't get to see mom because he chose to jump in with her and to do this. You can just see how the consequences start to stack up because of dishonest behavior. Because of sin issues that are not being dealt with. The longer you hold it off, the worse it gets. And here's the thing. Sometimes consequences are permanent. Maybe we've made mistakes in our life, and here's the, here's the thing. You're going to live with that mistake. There's no taking that mistake away. But what do you do with that, though, when you're trying to seek some kind of redemption? Like, this is where I'm at. How could things get better? If I chose to actually deal with things, face the issue, how can God bring something out of the mess that I've just created? Because sometimes we walk through things and all the mistakes we made, we're thinking, I've, I've got nothing left. God can't use this. I've screwed up so many times. How could God ever want to, to bring purpose back into my life? Because I've totally derailed this and I'm even taking it in a whole different direction. But here's the thing. God has grace that he gives to people who've screwed up. Isn't that good news? He doesn't just leave you there. He's still pursuing you even though you're living in disobedience. Even though you made a mistake, God is still pursuing. You look at this family feud, Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, Jacob, and the turmoil. And, and for some of you that are listening right now, family feud is, is not some game show with Steve Harvey Family feud might be the very things that are going on inside your home day in and day out. And it just seems like there's this struggle, maybe just like we see with Jacob and Esau and his parents. And here's the thing. How, how can God bring some restoration into that? How can God bring his grace into circumstances? And you see this in Genesis 33. As people have parted ways and life went on, there comes a point where Jacob returns, okay? And he, he's, gonna, he's gonna move to Uncle Laban's territory. And Jacob takes a liking to Uncle Laban's daughter, Rachel, and he says, I'll work for you for seven years if I get to marry her. And so he works for seven years for Uncle Laban, and then the marriage happens, and you know, celebrate, everything's exciting, just life seems to be moving again, only to find out that Uncle Laban tricked Jacob and actually had him marry the other daughter, Leah. And if you're Jacob, you're probably thinking, are you serious? Who would trick their own family like that? 
You ever you think maybe he had a moment in that where he thought, I did that. I did that. So you fast forward in this story in Genesis 33, and Jacob, with his family, finds out that he's going to be confronted by Esau. He's going to meet him. And you think of all the years to think about things. This moment's been building. What happens if I ever see Esau when I go to Casey's? You know? Like, some of you, maybe there's relationship dynamics where you're like, if I bump into them, it's going to be awkward. Okay? He's thought about this. And here's the moment now where he's going to encounter him. He has to face the issue. And how is God going to work in the midst of this? And the Bible says in verse 1 that Esau and like 400 men are coming at him. So then you're like, there's a lot of thoughts that could be coming through your mind on that one. But then the Bible says in verse 3 and in verse 4 that when Esau came to him, he embraced him. And there was grace and forgiveness within this family. And even though he had to face the issue and not necessarily know what the outcome might be, God met him with grace. Esau forgave, and the relationship was restored. And the beauty of this is this paints a picture of the gospel. God, even though we're disobedient, even though we make up and mistakes and we screw up, God in his grace and in his mercy and in his forgiveness towards us says, I am going to forgive you, but, but come to me. Don't keep trying to avoid me. Face the issue of sin in your life. Face it. And I will bring grace into your life. I will bring this forgiveness into your life. So I ask you, what issue might you be facing today? Maybe there is somebody that when I said I believe God had me stop at that part in the passage, it's because you're not living in honesty. You need to face that issue head on or it will totally run you over, including those that you love. Maybe the issue that you're facing is, is a, a dynamic within in your family, a dynamic with, with somebody in the community, and that tension just day in and day out, it's constantly there. Maybe you need to face the issue. Maybe your situation is something landed on your doorstep that you didn't even ask for, but there's, there it is. I'm staring at a financial issue. I'm staring at, at a health issue. I'm, I'm staring at uh, whatever the case might be. Somebody might have an issue with me, and I didn't even do anything. We still have to face the issue, and when we bring it to God, he brings in the grace and the provision that's needed. That's needed. And sometimes it doesn't always go how we want. 
okay? But sometimes in those moments we have to trust God knows what he's doing better than I would if I mapped this out. And so one of the things we, as we sensed and prayed over this service, we felt like, I think we just need to spend some time in prayer facing issues here today. And so we, we moved this, this worship service in a way that the worship is coming after the message because we're gonna have a time of worship and prayer where we face these issues. And the prayer team and elders and, and pastors will be up here at the front. We are gonna be here to face issues with people. Don't be intimidated by that. We're here to stand with you and pray over whatever those things might be. But one of the most important things that I could say today to somebody that is living without God, godless like Esau was, you need to be honest with yourself and say, I need Jesus in my life because if I don't have him, I'm gonna walk a journey that's aimless and it, in, in the end, leads to destruction. We talked in Sunday school, every single one of us has an eternal spirit, meaning it will last forever, and it'll go one of two places, and Christ is the determining factor on where your destination is. If you have Christ in your life, your destination is heaven. But if you don't have Christ in your life, the destination is hell. And that might sound mean and heavy, but here's the thing, it's the truth. And you need to face the issue. If I don't have Christ in my life, I'm not just gonna ignore the long-term consequences of that. At some point in your life, you have to face that. You have to make a decision. Am I gonna bring that grace and forgiveness into my life that he has available to me, or am I gonna continue to go on my own path? But you have to face that issue. That issue is sin. And Christ brought the answer when he died on the cross for you. And the way this works is forgiveness is available. He died, your sin is paid for, but you have to receive it. And if you don't receive it, you'll continue to walk aimlessly on a path to hell. Again, that sounds heavy, but that's that's the truth. If you don't have Christ in your life, that's the direction you're going. And so as we close this time and move into a time of response and prayer, I wanna lead us now in prayer together. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, we look at this account of, of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau. And we see an incredible amount of dysfunction, bad decisions, taking matters into our own hands, those kinds of things. And, and I think we can relate. We can relate to this. We, we've done these things. But Father, you don't just leave us, you give an answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would all take an honest look at what's going on in our life right now and say, is he really a part of my life?
Am I trying to imitate somebody that I'm not? And I do one thing one way on a Sunday maybe and then the rest of the days I don't even, I don't even act, live, talk like a, a follower of Christ. But today there's something about this message that makes me wanna lean in and say, Jesus, take my life. Come in to my heart today. And if there's something in you right now that, that that is burning in you, you want Christ in your life, then I'm just gonna invite you to pray with me in your heart. Quietly in your heart, just pray with me this prayer. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've screwed up, I've made mistakes. I am nothing without you. And today I wanna surrender my life to you. I ask that you'd forgive me. Bring that grace and mercy into my life and make me a new person and help me to walk in your ways from this day forward. Not going back to the old me, but walking in new life that's found in Jesus Christ. I thank you for this gift of grace this gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, I receive it by faith. By faith, I receive it. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you are somebody that prayed that prayer to receive Christ into your life, will you just, you just acknowledge that moment with me and just simply lift your hand? Simply lift it up. Thank you, I see your hand several hands. Thank you. Keep lifting them up if that's you. Praise God. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these people who prayed that prayer of faith to receive you into their life. I pray, Lord, that you would make it so real to them that this is a moment on October 20th, 2019, they drove a stake in the ground and they said, that's the day I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and I've never been the same since that day. Thank you for these people that made that response. Perhaps there's people that didn't feel like lifting their hands. They were, that was intimidating, but Lord, if people really prayed that in their heart, raising a hand does not save you. It's that prayer of faith. And if there's others who prayed that with me, Lord, make it very real. Make it very real. Father, I pray that we would be people who live with honesty and integrity and we would walk the faith journey in submission and obedience to you. I pray if there's any sin issues, Lord, we would lay them down at the cross today and we would ask for you to come and bring forgiveness into our life and help us to walk in a direction that is going to be blessed because it's obedience, not our own pattern, not our own ways. Help us to change. Father, as we pray together and we worship together as a body, I ask, Lord, that you would come and you would minister to every need, spiritual, physical, emotional, all of the needs that you know that are in this place today, Father, minister to them in a powerful, powerful way. May your grace, may your mercy fall upon this place. Lord, open up heaven and bring heaven to this place today. 
Move upon our circumstances, especially the spiritual needs. And we lift this to you as we worship together. In Jesus' name we pray.